was the middle of the night. It was pitch black. They were out on the open sea, and suddenly the lookout on the ship saw a light up ahead. Oh my goodness, we're going to crash. And so they sent a signal straight out there saying, we are on collision course. You must move five degrees to the north. But a signal came back from the other vessel. You're right, we're on collision course. But you need to move five degrees to the north. This is ridiculous. And so the captain of the ship said, send another signal. This is Admiral Merriweather of the United States Navy. You need to move five degrees to the north. Signal came back. This is Seaman Jones of the British Navy. You need to move five degrees to the north. Oh, he got so flustered. Send a signal. This is an American battleship. You need to move five degrees to the north. Signal came back. This is a British lighthouse. You need to move five degrees to the north. You see, we're going to be talking about living the Jesus adventure. If we're not careful, we totally under- misunderstand what it is to walk with Jesus. You see, we say, here's my life. These are my ambitions. These are my dreams. These are my goals. Jesus, come and help me to fulfill the plans for my life. How dare you and I think that? Because that's like us saying, I'm a battleship. Well, the battleship of my life. Oh, God, I've got these dreams, these visions, these goals. Yes, this is my life, Lord. Please, fit around me, Jesus. And we call that Christianity. That ain't it. To follow Jesus is to say, hey, I surrender my life to you, to your mission, to your plans, to your call. And as I surrender my life to you, I join the Jesus adventure. I join the mission of God on planet Earth, which is to see God's kingdom come. You and I are kingdom bringers. And so we're going to be talking about living the Jesus adventure. And whether you've been a Christian for hundreds of years, (laughs) or you're looking in, maybe online, maybe downstairs, maybe right at the back, and you're looking in thinking, I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff. You can begin the Jesus adventure. We're going to look in the Bible Because that's what churches do, thank God. Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, and of course, if you're a mature Christian, you have a Bible. Just saying. I'd like you to have it open. Paper Bible, digital Bible. Sometimes it's right to scribble in your Bible. Don't scribble in the Bible of the person next to you. That's not good. But it's right to do little notes and scribbles and whatever. I've I've learned that people who follow Jesus seriously, they have a Bible, and it might be fake paper, But it might be digital, but there's notes and scribbles and what God said that in the margins is so important. So if you have that, have your Bible open. But for the less mature Christians, it's on the screen. (laughs) Acts chapter 16. We're going to be diving into the middle of a story. This is going to be about Paul and his companions. They are just about to begin what we Christians now call the second missionary journey. I don't think they called it that. I don't think Paul said to his mates, do you want to come on my second missionary journey? You get t-shirts, second missionary journey t-shirts and the lot. We're going to have wristbands. We're going to, no. But this is what they were doing. They were on a Jesus adventure. And we're going to be talking about five keys that can help us on our Jesus adventure. So Acts chapter 16, beginning of this journey. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They were on their Jesus adventure, and we're called to be on that adventure as well. See, the trouble is, if we're not careful, we think, well, when I come to follow Jesus, he's going to meet all my needs, be my comforter, and he's going to add things to the life I already had. No, no, no. He's going to revolutionize our life because our life comes in line with his life and his mission. And so I hope you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been recruited to his mission. You don't just now have a super celestial sugar daddy who does nice things in your life and cuddles you and looks after you and does lovely things. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, you follow Jesus, you have been recruited into his mission, just like these guys. So five keys that we're going to see in this passage, and these five keys can help you and me in our adventure with Jesus. Number one, first key, is what's your godly ambition? What is your godly ambition? You see, Paul had an ambition. In fact, take a quick look at the map, okay? And this map will help us to be able to see where these guys were going. And um, you can see the green arrow, when eventually, we will, honest. <laughs> there we go, there we go, well done. Obrigado. <laughs> so the green arrow is where they start. We just read here, it says, they were when going through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And so bottom right-hand corner is Jerusalem. You might be able to see that. But they start in Antioch, more in the middle on the right. And so they launch out on this missionary journey, Phrygia and Galatia. But then the arrow to the left in red is where they wanted to go. Now, we'll hear on key two that they didn't. But on key one, their godly ambition was to go west towards a place called Ephesus, Asia Minor. That's where they wanted to go. Because Ephesus was a big city, big, major area of population. So they had an ambition to go to the big city. If you know your Bible, they got there later, but not now. But, but, but God said no. So instead, they had the arrow going up. They tried to go north to the Black Sea coast. And going north, again, population, lots of people. Paul had big ambitions. But the one thing I want to say is that they, they, they had to change. But what's your godly ambition? Paul and his companions had the gospel to take. Romans chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says, it's all, always been my ambition to preach the gospel. Always been my ambition to preach the gospel. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible. So they had an ambition to go to Ephesus. They had an ambition to go to Bithynia in the north, where there's lots of people. Here's my question, first key, what's your godly ambition? See, we hear, hear a word like ambition and we think, oh, ambition, that's naughty, that's, that's selfish. Well, it is selfish uh, ambition if it's about you. If you're about self-promotion, you know? Do you know there's a song we used to sing, and I used to get it wrong sometimes. There's this Christian song, and, and I sometimes, it's all about me, Jesus. It's all about, oh, I think I've got that the wrong way around. Now, please don't sing that. But don't live it either. Because otherwise we think, actually, I just want God to add himself to my dreams and my ambitions. 
No, no. The question is, what's your godly ambition? There's nothing wrong with ambition. Paul and these guys had ambition. They wanted to influence people for the kingdom. But is your ambition limited to the things of this world? Because they so easily can be. Careers. You know, we say to a five-year-old, what are you going to be when you grow up? And hopefully the answer is going to be kind. <laughs> hopefully the answer is going to be a kingdom bringer for Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a doctor or a plumber or a bus driver or whatever, whatever. But is that just our dream? What's our godly ambition? And sometimes we have an ambition. I knew somebody and they said, my ambition is to have a detached house. Now, I do know in London, anybody owning a house is now called a miracle. I know that. I do know that. But this guy, his dream was to have a detached... I'm sorry, that's a small dream. I knew a guy whose dream was for his son to play professional football for Aston Villa. Now, don't say anything about Villa. <laughs> but the reason for that was he had had a dream to play football professionally. That had been thwarted, so now he was putting that on his son. Now, there's nothing wrong. Maybe, maybe Villa, perhaps. Or, but, but, or, or music. Oh, I want to be the very best of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or sports. Or hobbies. Or owning things. Accumulating wealth. If we're not careful, these become our ambitions. But these ambitions are small. What's your godly ambition? What areas of godlike character are you asking him to grow in your life? That's a godly ambition. Help me to be a peace bringer. Help me to be full of patience. Oh, give me wisdom. There's so much. But also, you are called to be a kingdom bringer. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a bringer of God's kingdom to this earth. That's what he's called us to be. It's really funny. We've got lots of trendy young students at our college. Well, young students anyway. And, uh, and every now and then, somebody says, oh, I want to be an influencer. And it's like, and that's a job? That didn't used to be a job when I was a kid. If I was at school, I want to be an influencer. Come on. But do you know what? You and me are called to be influencers. We have been recruited to the mission of God. If you're a Christ follower, you are a kingdom bringer. You're called to be a kingdom bringer. There's a, a lady in our church. We're part of a church in Worcester. And um, there's a lady in our church. And uh, she's Nigerian. Um, so, um, you know, she's like half an hour late. I didn't know how else to say it, you know. I, was, <laughs> I know all that stuff. I know all that stuff. Oh, Pastor Pete, Pastor Pete, she'd say, you have clocks, we have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And so I was having a chat with her once, and I don't come out of this story very well. If you could edit this out after, that would be good. So I went to Jackie, put my arm on my shoulder, said, did you know the service starts at half ten? Oh, Pastor Pete, I didn't get home from work till four o'clock. I'm like, oh, what did you do at work then? And I was embarrassed because I didn't know. She's a nurse, and she's head of the A&E department at Worcester Hospital. And she says, well, I work every Saturday night because... All the team know that I'm a Jesus follower. And because I'm a Christian, I want to show the kindness of God to them. And so I work Saturday night so that all my team with young children and young families can be with theirs. And I'm like, oh, well, don't be late for church. <laughs> She's a kingdom bringer. She's bringing droplets of Jesus' love and power into her work environment. And if we're not careful, with this what's your godly ambition, we think, well, it's all right for a Paul. Paul, he was an apostle, he's a missionary. It's all right for pastors and missionaries, but I'm like a normal person. Hey, you and me are normal people. 
And God has called us to be kingdom bringers. So in your sphere of influence, in your workplace, in your friendship group, in your family, in your network of friendships, in your social networks, how can you have a godly ambition to bring the goodness of the kingdom of Jesus in that environment? Be ready to do that. Be ready to do that. Number one, what's your godly ambition? How are you looking to be used of God as a kingdom bringer in your context, in your environment? But before we get to the second key, I remember hearing the story of this man who's walking through the countryside. And as he's walking through the country, up ahead he can see the lane splits into two. And up ahead there's a lady. And this lady is throwing a stick up into the air. And when the stick lands on the ground, she's looking at it, picking it up, tutting, and throwing it up again. And it comes down and she's doing this over and over. The guy comes up towards her, says, excuse me, do you mind me asking what you're doing? She says, oh, it's very easy. I come from a gypsy tradition. And when we come to a fork in the road, we throw a stick up in the air and when it lands, Whichever way it's pointing, that's the way we feel fate is taking us. So he said, well, I sort of get that, but you've thrown it up in the air so many times, what's going on? She says, oh, that's easy. I throw it, and when it lands, it points that way. But I want to go that way, so I keep throwing it up again. Oh, my goodness, see, that's the trouble. We can be so fixed, and I know people who will throw that prayer up in the air. Oh, God, speak to me, speak to me, please, and I'll obey. Ooh, I don't like that one. God, speak to me, speak to me. And we keep throwing the stick up. And God's voice sometimes just gets louder. Hey, if God is whispering to you about something right now, if God's whispering, make sure you do it. I've walked with Jesus for a long time now. And you know what I've learned? Jesus whispers to you. But if you don't respond, he then talks to you. And if you don't respond, he shouts to you. And if you don't respond, he slaps you. So that is why I've learned to listen to the whisper. Listen to them. So that's number two. See, number one is what's your godly ambition? But number two is keep listening to the Holy Spirit. Keep listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the key, if you remember, was that Paul had the ambition to go to Ephesus and Asia Minor, had the ambition instead to go north, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. Verse 6 says they were kept by the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but they were kept by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 says... Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. Somehow, God was speaking. And I want to encourage you and me to stay open, to stay flexible, to listen for the whispers of God. Brackets, avoid the slap. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word as it keeps on proceeding from the mouth of God. I believe God is speaking to us far more than we ever realise. But lots of us rule us out. We rule ourselves out because we think we're not big enough, famous enough, we're not significant enough. Do you know, I don't know why I didn't say this before, but I had just become a pastor. I was still working part-time in architecture, which is what I used to do. I used to have a proper job, just saying. And, and uh, part-time um, architecture and part-time pastoring. And I went to a conference, and it was probably a similar size to this. And I came in late because I'd come straight from work. And uh, I always remember I had a yellow stripy tie on. You remember the yellow? And so I'm at the back and whatever. And this guy from the front, and he's an American guy, so I had to get over that. That's just me. And so this guy says, I have a prophetic word for the young man at the back. And I'm like, whoa, hey, I wonder who that is. I was, honestly, I was like, wow. And he says, the tall blonde young man at the back. And I'm like, whoa, wow, somebody else. And then, 
And he says, I have a word for the tall, blonde, young man at the back with a yellow tie on. And I'm like, wow, somebody else has got a yellow tie on. <laughs> Who would have thought that? What are they? Do you know why? Because I didn't think God would speak to me. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. Well, I was assistant pastor, nearly. Because we rule ourselves out. I really want to encourage you. God is speaking to you. Because he wants to speak through you. And if he's going to speak through you, for you to be a kingdom bringer to those around you, he's going to speak to you so he can speak through you. But we rule ourselves out. And suddenly I'm looking for somebody else. And you know why? It wasn't, it was maybe humility, but only a little bit. It was 90% like, God, don't use people like me because I'm not famous enough, I'm not big enough and whatever. Do not rule yourself out. God wants to speak to you. The whispers to us. So also, I want to be, encourage you to be careful about being committed to your convictions. If you've walked with Jesus for a while, you can think you're a Jesus follower, but actually you're committed to your convictions. I'll tell you who's a good example of that. Abraham in the Bible. Abraham, God spoke to him and said, take your son and take Isaac up the mountain, bind him, and then sacrifice him before me. And so Abraham does that. He takes Isaac, goes up the mountain, binds him, gets the dagger, and then God speaks a second time. And says, no, no, you don't need to kill him, etc., etc. You may know the story. Abraham says, no, no, God's already spoken to me. I'm committed to my convictions. Eh, and kills Isaac. The Bible would have been a very different story. No, no, he kept open to what God was saying. If you are a, an older Christian, a more mature Christian, if you follow Jesus for a while, be very careful that you don't become more committed to your convictions than you do to listening to the fresh voice of God. So easy to do. So easy to do. Also, when God says no, he's still guiding you. When God says no, he's still guiding you. You see, Paul and his companions had the ambition, go this way, had the ambition, go that way. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. If you're not careful, when God says no to us, we get frustrated. We get frustrated. And maybe now there's something that you're sort of praying for and looking for, and God's saying no. I wonder whether these guys got frustrated. But God was saying no, and we had to have faith and confidence to trust God in the negatives in faith that the positives will come. So important for us to do that. So keep listening to the Spirit. I met a guy a few years ago, a guy called Steve. And he's a very ordinary guy. Not some super-duper, woo, hero pastor and all that, all that stuff. He's like a chemistry teacher. That's pretty good. He's a Fulham football fan. So he's just a very ordinary bloke. But he and his wife felt God say to them, you to go to Turkey, which is ironic because this is where this story is. Go to Turkey a few years ago and teach and live over there. So they did that. And one particular day, Steve told me, he just, the night before, felt a, a conviction, felt a sense of God speaking somehow that he should get on a train somewhere. So he got on a train, two-hour journey to this place, and it was a particular place that God said to go to. He got off the train and saw a little hotel across the other side of the road, just went and sat in the lounge of the hotel. And he's there early evening, and a guy comes in and starts looking at him from the other side of the room. So Steve's like, oh, this could be dodgy. <laughs> and this guy eventually comes across, and he says to Steve, are you the man with the book? And Steve's like, sorry? Are you the man with the book? And Steve says, you need to tell me what you mean. He says, well, it's simple. I, I, I'm a Muslim, and, and I've followed Muslim religion for many years. But a few nights ago, in the middle of the night, suddenly there was a bright, shining light in my room. And I startled and woke up. And this bright being was right in front of me and said, I'm Isa, Turkish for Jesus. I'm Isa. And I want to show you my love and my power. And this vision said to go to this place right now and find the man with the book. 
are you the man with the book? And Steve says, you betcha, I'm the man with the book. And took out his Turkish New Testament and says, this will tell you all about Easter. In fact, the first four parts of this, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're all about Easter. And then the guy said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Will he be here tomorrow? He says, yes, I'll be here tomorrow. So the guy left. Steve went to reception and says, have you got a room for tonight? And he stayed. Next time, the guy comes. He says, hey, I've read all those four. That's called reading your Bible, isn't it? I've read all those four. Um, hey, Easter's wonderful. How do I get to know him? Oh. And Steve led him in that hotel lounge in a prayer of his commitment to follow Jesus. And now in that town, there's a handful, a network of growing number of Easter followers. All because a chemistry teacher who supports Fulham Listen to the Holy Spirit. But you see, if you're not careful, we think, oh, that's so highfalutin. Oh, I wish God would use me to go to... No, no, no. But Jill and I live near Worcester. We went to a church in Worcester. And this little tiny old lady, and she says, I, I, I'm just learning to listen to God because I, I didn't realise God was speaking to me. And, and I was in the queue at the post office getting my pension. And God suddenly said to me, and I knew it was God, and I should turn to the person, the lady behind me and tell her that she need have no fear of dying, that God could be with her. And she kept, just a dead, ordinary little old lady. She goes, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that. But eventually she turned around and she shared this with the lady. The lady burst into tears and they, they had a conversation about Jesus and about life and about forever. What's God wanting to say to you? Keep listening to the Spirit. Have ambition. Have godly ambition. Want to do stuff for God and be a kingdom influencer for him. But also keep listening to the Spirit. Keep listening to the Spirit. I had a really weird thing. Do you remember, remember lockdowns? Yeah, anyway, try to... Anyway. But, but during all that, we live in a little town. There's only 5,000 people in our town. And so I do a keep fit walk. I know it's not working. I know it's not working, but I do a keep fit walk. I do two miles every night. And I'm the only one without a dog. It's so funny. Everybody else has got dogs. So I'm doing this walk. I've done it for seven or eight years. And I carried on doing it during lockdown. And I have people now saying, mate, you should get a dog. <laughs> you know. But one time out, I just noticed another guy, and he was walking and didn't have a dog. And I thought, well, that's unusual. And I just clocked him. And I'm going out a couple of nights later. And I hate to say it, but I felt God spoke to me and said I should say hello to him. And that's quite scary for blokes. Because blokes are no good at talking to other blokes. All the ladies know that. That's why the ladies who are married worried about their husbands. Because they don't talk to them. And so, but I really felt this pressure that I should just begin a conversation. And it was like a Jesus thing. It wasn't just me, it was a Jesus thing. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure about that. I can't be God. I'm not brave enough for that. I can preach and stuff, but not talk to somebody about Jesus. That's harder. Um, and uh, anyway, I went to walk. I'm not kidding you. Within one minute, he's walking right towards me. I'm like, oh. Like that. He's walking right towards me. In lockdown, two metres apart. We were two metres then. I mean, it's countryside, so about five metres, actually. Um, and so I'm walking, and I thought, oh, no. And so I'm walking towards him, and I'm, I'm like rehearsing a sentence. I, I, you're trying to look cool. How are you doing, mate? I, I, are you all right, mate? Because that's what blokes do. Blokes go, are you all right? Because you know, we don't know words. We go, are you all right? So, so I thought, I'll just go, are you all right? <laughs> and, and, and then as I got close to him, I suddenly panicked. And I thought, what if he's gay? He might misunderstand me I'm in this conversation. And then I thought, what if he thinks I'm gay? <laughs> anyway, by then he's like 10 feet away. <laughs> oh, it was so stupid. We are pathetic, aren't we? Or is it just me? <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, we did the, all right. <laughs> then we chatted a bit more the next time. And then we went out for a drink and... I had a curry when you were allowed inside buildings. 
and God was doing things in his life. And he was um, on that thing during COVID where he had wages paid and whatever. But then when he went back, the day he went back, he got um, redundancy, he got fired. So that was a God conversation. Who does God want you to have a God conversation with? Keep listening to the Spirit. We panic. Or we think God can't use us. Anyway, you want the third key, don't you? Okay, okay. Third key, overcoming disappointment. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to include this, but it's life. Overcoming disappointment. You see, this passage begins, Paul and his companions, they want to go to Ephesus. But God says, no, you can't go east. So they want to go north to the Black Sea Coast. And God says, no, you can't do that. And so they go down to try. So quick look at the map again. And you can see, between the red arrows where they couldn't go is the big green arrow going left where they did go. And the Bible says they went down to Troas. This was a little tiny fishing port, a little dump of a place. Not many population, not very influential. It's just a little place on the edge. And the Bible says they went down to Troas. Physically, they went down. Metaphorically, they went down. They were fed up. A guy called John Stott of this passage says, arriving in Troas, they must have been in a state of considerable perplexity. You're not kidding. They were fed up. They were disappointed. And so, third key is overcoming disappointment. Overcoming disappointment. You see, handling disappointment is part of growing in Christian maturity. I hope you know that. If some evangelist said to you, come to Jesus and your life will be wonderful and you'll never have any problems, I'm sorry they lied. Jesus will be with you in everything. But you'll still walk through it. Handling disappointment. To get to success, which we'll see in a moment, to get to success, they had to go through Troas. What's your Troas moment? You had a dream and it never happened. You had a relationship that was looking like it was going to be a life soulmate and it never happened. You had a a career that was developing and it got thwarted. You had financial plans so that you could accumulate but actually give masses to Christian mission and that got thwarted. You had relationships you were investing in. Oh my goodness me. We have disappointment in life. Paul, I believe, had that frustration. If we were able to watch this on video, I think Paul and maybe his companions, they were walking up and down the beach at Troas. It's ridiculous. They're kicking the stones. and Don't kick the speaker, okay. Um, But they would have been frustrated. There was disappointment. They had the big dreams and they'd ended up in Troas. They never planned to be there. They didn't want to go there. They had no joy in being there. And you and I have times of frustration, disappointment. I told you, I used to work in architecture. Jill and I got married about that time. And then um, the pastor in my church, quite a large church in Manchester, he came to me and he says, I see something of the call of God on you to be a pastor and a preacher and, and to, to work in Christian leadership. And I'm like, I don't. I'm a very happy architect. Thank you. He says, I see something in God, didn't we? And, oh, but you know what was horrible? I thought, oh my goodness, I think he might be right. And so, long story, but I came out of full-time architecture and then was on a journey of developing uh, assistant pastor, be pastor, etc., etc. But in the middle of that, something happened, nothing to do with me, but I ended up in a situation where that wasn't working out for a while. And I ended up working in a drawing office supply shop. Oh, I could remember that well. And I was working behind a print machine. 
if you know anything of this, they don't probably do it now, <laughs> it's all computer. But it was a die line machine, sort of blueprints, if you've heard of blueprints. Great big drawings, AO size sheets, big drawings. And some, a customer would come in and say, I've got 20 originals and I want 10 copies off each. And I'm like, okay then. And you put it through the machine and it comes, you put it. And I remember being behind that machine. Oh, and me and God had some conversations, I can tell you. <laughs> And I'm like, God, I said I was very happy in architecture. Brackets, it was quite lucrative, thank you. But I was happy in architecture. And you were supposed to call me into Christian ministry. And now I'm behind this machine. And some of these, look at these drawings. Look at these drawings, Jesus. I could do better drawings than this. Oh, I remember that so well. That was my Troas. That honestly was my Troas moment. But you've got to go through it. You've got to be honest about it. You've got to recognize the frustration, the disappointment, just as Paul did. Overcoming disappointment. But also realize that sometimes when things are falling apart, they're actually falling into place. Because God is at work. Because before we move to the fourth key, we need to have confidence that God is at work, even in the disappointment. And I do believe Paul as a bloke was probably kicking the stones and throwing things out into the water. And he was frustrated and disappointed. But then something happened and God spoke to him. And it's fascinating, in verse 9, suddenly, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come on over here. You see, in the middle of his disappointment and his frustration, he was still able to hear God. It was the middle of the night. It was the darkness, but he gets positive guidance. And that takes us to our fourth key, God's dreams for you are bigger than your dreams for yourself. God's dreams for you are bigger than your dreams for yourself. So you may have a hobby, you may have a career, you may have a particular type of life that, oh, I'd love to do this, love to do this. But God's dreams for you are bigger than that because he wants you to be a kingdom bringer. Do you know what happens here? Quick look, final look at the map. Final look at the map. What happens here? The extra green arrow. So from Troas, which is Asia... They go to Macedonia, which is Europe. Now the gospel of Jesus for the very first time comes to Europe. And those of us of European extraction say, thank you, Jesus, the gospel came to us. You see, in Acts chapter 10, the gospel had gone from Jews to Gentiles. That was a massive leap. Now there's another massive leap where the gospel goes from Asia into Europe. And God uses a different method, a fresh way. He, Paul sees a vision of a man saying, come over here. Only now do they realise what God was doing earlier. And if you feel that God at the moment is saying no to you, be in faith that there's a bigger yes that's coming. But you can't imagine that yes just yet. Because Paul wanted to take the gospel to a big population of Ephesus, to the big population of Bithynia, and God stopped him. He went back later because God had bigger dreams. He wanted the gospel to go to Europe. So God's dreams for you are bigger than your own dreams. If Jesus gives you a dream, you are big enough to handle it. I've got two sons, and when they were young, they were about six and eight years old, and we used to read books about Pippo. They were good books. And one of the books says, Pippo goes to the moon. And we're reading Pippo goes to the moon. And we finished the book. And just before we prayed, because we always prayed with the boys, and um, I said to one of the lads, 
what do you want to do? He says, I want to go to the moon. I'm like, yeah. Then I said to the other one, and what do you want to do? He says, I want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> and I'm like... That happens to us. God says to us metaphorically, spiritually, I want you to go to the moon. I have big dreams for you. I want the gospel to go to Europe. Or maybe for you, what does that mean? God wants you to be a kingdom bringer. Be brave. Go for it. Speak out and show the love and power of Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, the Jesus adventure is we are kingdom bringers. Be ready to go for it. Because God sometimes says, I want you to go to the moon. And we say, I want to go to McDonald's. And we miss it. We miss it. God will let us go to McDonald's. But we'll miss it. Finally, I want to read the scripture once more just to bring us to our last key. Just quickly through this scripture and pick up the emphasis I bring. Paul and his companions travel throughout the region, Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching in Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. Man in Macedonia standing and being, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you notice the subtle difference? All the first verses, it says, they did this, they did that, they went there, this happened to them. Then suddenly, we decided to do this, and this happened to us. Do you know what happens? The author joins in. And if you're a Jesus follower, you know the person who wrote the book of Acts is? Yeah, Luke, okay, yeah, good, you know the Bible. Luke, this is like Luke's Gospel, Volume 2. And here, what happens is the author joins in. He's talking about something that he wasn't involved in, and suddenly he, he is. That's the fifth key. The fifth key is travel in team. Travel in team. I think it was John Wesley that says, God knows nothing of solitary religion. When I was a young pastor, sometimes I'd be leaving, leading communion times and bread and wine and whatever, and every now and then I'd encounter people who says, I don't want to do this with others. It's all about me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. The saddest thing of all is they thought that was holy. They thought that was biblical. No, it's never just you and Jesus. It's always you, me and Jesus. We travel in team. You see, the wonderful thing that happens here is that Luke joins the team. And Luke joins the team when? Just as the gospel goes to Greece. Macedonia is northern Greece. And Luke is by far the best writer of Greek in the Bible. He's a Greek scholar. He's a Greek writer. He's a physician. He's a learned man. Just when the gospel goes to Greece, where the clever dudes are, God adds Luke to Paul's team. When you and I set out to do something for God, be ready for him to add people to your life to help you do it. Because if you think you can do it alone, I'm sorry, you're back to selfish ambition. You make it about you again. It's all about me. No, no, no. We need to learn that God builds people around us. Don't be an isolationist. You cannot do it alone. God will bring alongside you the people you need. Who do you need to help fulfill the mission of God for your life? You need people to encourage you. 
You need people, and I've needed people to tell me, come on, Pete, you're bigger than that. You're better than that. I've needed people to hold me to account. There are people right now, just statistically in this congregation, that are looking at things on the internet that are unhelpful. You need a couple of people near to you who will look you in the eye and say, which temptation are you enjoying at the moment? Because if in two years' time that's led into sin and somebody says, what sin are you doing? You're going to bury it. You don't need somebody now to say, what sin are you committing? You needed somebody two years ago to say, what temptation are you enjoying? That's why we need people. For accountability, for strength. We don't need people to knock us down. We need people to build us up but to challenge and provoke and to stir faith and to hold us to accountable, accountability. We need others. Don't be an isolationist. The fascinating thing in this is, if you know your Bible story, the end of the chapter before, Paul has been disappointed in a guy called John Mark. He felt that John Mark let them down on the previous trip, and so he's disappointed, he's frustrated, maybe he's a bit angry. And yet, in chapter 16 now, in verse 3, Timothy is added to the team. We didn't read that. But in verse 10, Luke is added to the team. Learn to get over relational disappointment. There are people here and you've trusted in people and you've trusted in Christians and maybe you've trusted in pastors and maybe you've trusted in pastors more than you should have done because pastors are still human. Get over that relational disappointment. Paul had massive relational disappointment but he got over it and he added Timothy to the team, who becomes his son in the faith. He adds Luke to the team, and he becomes a companion as the gospel goes to Greece. Travel in team. Learn to recover from relational disappointment. So, there's the adventure with Jesus. Five keys. And in a moment, I'm going to ask how God has spoken to you. Because I do believe in this living the Jesus adventure these five keys can help us. What's applied to you? Maybe you don't believe God can use you to his glory. You need ambition, but godly ambition. Maybe you don't believe God can speak to you. I'm just little old me. God doesn't speak. Cause God speaks to you. But maybe you've been paralyzed by disappointment. And God is saying, move on, get over it. Don't stay in Troas. I hope you know you are at your worst when you feel sorry for yourself. And so am I. Self-pity paralyzes us. And it's not right that she did that. No, it's not. But she's moving on and you ain't. It's not right that they treated me like that. No, it's not right. But they're moving on with life and you're not. Somebody here, you're still in Troas. And in the middle of the night, God is speaking and saying, move on. Because I've got bigger, better things for you to do.